Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. William Rhodes, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're in Key West. You're you're uh, in Key West. Um, what what brought you to Key West? First of all, what when you first came? I would say, first of all, luck and many blessings brought me to Key West. Um, I was so fortunate. I was invited to come out through Studios of Key West initially. Um, Jed Dobbs, he invited me to come out and work on a community project because he saw the type of work that I was doing in San Francisco, California. And the focus of the project was dealing with the community uh, known as the Bahama Village and how they're being impacted through gentrification. And it had such a similar connection to what I'm dealing with and the type of work I do in San Francisco because there they had uh, a you know, large African-American community. I think at one point it was almost close to 20%. Now it's down to somewhere in the range of five to 3%. Hmm. And um, very similar to what's happening in the Bahama Village. People that you know, have generations of family connections and roots are, you know, are being displaced and pushed out. So um, Studios of Key West brought me out. And the first thing we did, we did this fun community quilt project. The quilt. Yes. So it was um, basically we had a day, uh, Jed set up um, an event in a park and we had um, kids come out. We had seniors, we had, you know, people of all ages came together and they each got a fabric square. And the fabric squares, if you can imagine, they have cuts along the edges on all four sides. So those cuts allow you to sew other pieces together. They almost act as like ways of, it. you can tie it together. So in essence, you're making a knotted quilt. So when all of these people came together from the Bahama village, they could write family histories on these squares. They could do paintings on them. They could do whatever they wanted. They could, if, they could even include photographs if, if they bought any, you know, but all of these things were tied into a larger center panel, which I made. I hand painted a center panel and I was just, it almost brought me to tears when I saw how amazing it was. I left this with the community and they've been adding to it. So when I actually got to see it in person hanging up, it was just amazing to me that all of the beautiful things and the history that's being contributed. Um, And then also the last thing was there was a second quilt, which I actually is much more formal. I um, got an opportunity to meet people in the community, people like um, Mr. John Smith, Wilson Smith. Um, I got to meet um, Kiwana who runs, uh, Ms. Kiwana, who runs the um, Bahama Village music, um, music, music, program. Yes. music program. I got to meet her, so many people, elders in the community, and, they, and I got to um, do portraits of them. 
And also John gave me so many images of like historic churches, photographs of historic churches and buildings and landmarks. So then all of those things, I created a formal quilt, which I, I hand painted each panel with a center panel. And then I had seniors in San Francisco, they actually helped with the sewing of the quilt. And I also had some seniors in um, Colorado, um, a place I work with in Colorado, they actually did sewing for me. So um, it was, it was, again, another community, I would say, based project. And when I think, can we talk about quilt as a medium of art? Because when I think of quilt, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Indiana, small town, and my grandma quilted. And I just think of family and, and it's such a personal expression. And it's something you, you hand down from generation to generation. Can you talk about how, why you chose that medium and, and what it means to you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So it's, you know, quilting has always been around me and my family although I didn't really put any value on it until recently, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I just kind of took it for granted, to be honest. But the funny thing is all of these family quilts were around and they were used and they were like these generations of, you know, these objects that, you know, that I could, could have in my family. So it, it brought me a certain amount of comfort. Now, where I got involved in it is when I started to realize that the practice of quilting and the people, the community that gets involved in making these quilts, to me, was really the, one of the most exciting things because it became a way of just bringing people together. And people just, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, they bring their own stories and their own history into this quilt. So all of these things get infused into these pieces of fabric. That's great. And, and there, there's, there's a pair of quilts. There's two. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. One is the listed as the Goombe quilt. Mm -hmm. That's the big community quilt. And then the other one is the Bahama village quilt. And that's the one that's hand sewn uh, not hand sewn, but it's, it's sewn. That's amazing. Can, can you talk about, um, you're, you're based in San Francisco and, um, you, you saw similarities between, um, I, I think of rent when I think of the similarities, the, I mean, I mean, seriously, the very, uh, housing crisis and, um, just horrible increases that push people out, that push a lot of local people out. Um, are there, um, is, are those the similarities that drew you? What, what are some other similarities between the two? We're so too small. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was amazing to me. So, parts of San Francisco where um, you had lots of people, the Navy used to be in San Francisco, mm -hmm. just like it used to be. Well, it, it, I think aspects of it are still in Key West, but the Navy, you know, was here. Some of the housing that um, many of the people in San Francisco, African-American community used to live in, the, the, um, the I guess, low-income housing, they were, some of those were military Navy barracks. And I was really amazed to say, to find out that some of the housing here in Key West that the African-American community lives in was Navy barracks. And it was similar when the Navy pulled out, you know, the economy got affected. Many of the African-Americans, their incomes dropped and exactly the same as what took place in San Francisco. So I was just really, that just was, had such a strong connection. And then the fact that 
both communities had this strong connection to the water. They lived right on the water. They, you know, fished. They did all of these things on the water. San Francisco, same in Key West. Um, different climate. You know, San Francisco does get quite a bit colder at times. Yes. But um, <laughs> it still had those same connections. And then when I started to travel into the Bahama Village, it felt really similar to an area in San Francisco, which is called the Bayview Hunters Point um, community and also Western Edition. Same kind of thing, small communities with this strong history. A lot of them still had these Southern roots too in San Francisco, just like the, obviously the Southern roots in uh, Key West, Florida. That's great. That's great. And you lead art workshops. I mean, you, you give so much back. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of artists do, but you're so, um, you put yourself, you, you immerse yourself in communities. And how did that start? And what, what do you get from that? Or why is that important? Because you, you're very busy, you have an art career, and <laughs> you, you have to earn a living. But what, what, um, what has inspired you to teach? That's a, that's a great question. Well, you know what, through my art and community practice and teaching, I think I found my calling kind of like, you know, I've always been trying to search to figure out what was my purpose on, on earth. You know, why am I here? Am I just here to take up space or am I here to do something? And I think through that, I've been able to find that, figure out that, you know, I do have a calling. So I started off, I would teach in, uh, in the Bayview community, San Francisco Bayview, Hunters Point, teaching at a lot of schools, after school programs. And through my art, I started developing these quilts where I started to do portraits of people from the community that were dying, you know, seniors that were passing on with this history. And through that project, I um, worked at a senior center. And someone told me, they said, you know, hey, you seem really excited about this project. You're interviewing these seniors. You got a connection with them. Would you consider applying for a job? And I said, you know, well, you know, what the heck? I didn't really think anything of it. And the job was for an intergenerational director. And I applied and I got the position. So basically what I do now is I take my art, creativity, and I combine it with intergenerational programming. So I bring young people, seniors together. They work on these projects. Um, we do anything from glass blowing projects to ceramic, to storytelling, poetry, music, you name it. But it just has a creative base. But the connection is that the seniors and the young people work together and they support each other in so many ways. Now you 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 were trained as a furniture maker by by master craftsman, um, mm -hmm. so you you sort of that must have been that must have felt like you were being handed down um, a, a, a trade and and work from an art form from uh, earlier generations. Yes. Um, can you talk about that or or how how you got started into art? Did you grow up thinking I'm an art? I've got to do this or no. You know, art, it was my therapy. So I tell a story. It's a, it's a funny story. So I was born a small kind of sickly child. And I love sports, though. 
So I used to, you know, as small as I was, I didn't realize how small I was. I thought I could do anything, you know, as a sports star. And I was the smallest kid in my neighborhood. I'm an only child. So it was, I, I caught it pretty rough. And um, it was, it got pretty hard. There were times that I got a lot of physical abuse, things like that from, from bullies and things like that. And, and, but so I really found myself in my room doing drawings and creating art as a way of therapy, not, not knowing that that's what it was, but through these drawings and through making art, I could create these worlds where I was like more of a superhero, where I could do all of these things that I wanted to do. I could do it through my art. Maybe I couldn't do it on the field. Maybe I couldn't do it through sports, but guess what? I could do it through my art. And I became like the leading uh, sports star with my artwork. And through, through that, it led to me really having an interest. Um, where I think my career really, where I really saw myself really moving in it, with art as a career is I got accepted in the Baltimore School for the Arts, which was um, a very competitive school. It was really important for me to do this because my zone school was a pretty rough school in my community. So I, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And Baltimore is an amazing city, but you know, you had some pretty rough schools there too. And I knew that if I did not get into the school for the arts, I would end up in a zone school, which meant lots of fights, lots of problems. And I didn't want to deal with that. So I was successful. I got accepted in the school, um, auditioned and prayed and was, and was just amazed that I got accepted in this school. So that led to that. And then when I went to college, I took an elective, which was furniture making, because my actual major uh, which was industrial design, I realized that wasn't really my calling. Um, I thought it could make, that was a, it was lucrative because many industrial designers could make money. And my family always said, if you're going to do art, you got to figure out a way to make money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my passion didn't align with that at the time. So I took this elective, which was furniture making because I liked it, not because of money. And I, and, and you said it perfectly. I studied with some master craftspeople um, and studied with them, learned traditional woodworking, what you would call joinery, which means putting furniture, to, like creating furniture without nails, screws, or glue. Oh. So it was, it was tough. It could take you a year to make a table. <laughs> At least it could take me a year to make a table, you know. The opposite so. of Ikea. Oh, so opposite. <laughs> I wish we had Ikea then, man, it would have been fun. But <laughs> so, so that led to my, my love of, of that. And then um, it's turned into, you know, with my art now, the, the pieces that I make, the sculptural pieces, they include those elements, you know, still traditional woodworking in those elements, but it has my expression mixed in and a lot of my stories, all of those kind of create this 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 frame and I still make furniture it's not traditional it's sculptural furniture so you look at it you're like man what is this a piece of art can I sit on it but you you can do all of it and and you your sculptures are they're wooden sculptures is what type of wood and like isn't this an unforgiving uh medium <laughs> if you make a cut yes. you're kind of I mean talk about what, why do you choose that and not uh, a different material you know, I'm now I'm very comfortable with wood. 
I, I, I just love the smell of it in my studio. I love it's living. I love the feel of it. Um, and it, and it can be unforgiving. I use a lot of salvage wood. I don't use, um, you know, a lot of new timber and things like that. I'll use older pieces of wood. Um, I do a lot of carving in it. Um, and it's just now the way I work, if I make a mistake, I feel like that mistake was meant to be. So if I cut a piece the wrong way, guess what? I'm going to figure out how to incorporate that in to the piece and make that work. So um, it's become forgiving for me in that way, because like I said, those mistakes add to the piece because I'm not trying to produce a piece that is what you would consider a traditional clean piece of, of furniture. It definitely has, I would say strong folk elements because that's you know, being having family from the South, seeing my uh, family members create stuff out of uh, just just out of necessity, just taking whatever they have and making it. That's a big influence. So it having things being perfect, it doesn't um, matter for me as much now. And um, let's talk about Key West and, and um, how it inspires artists. I mean, this place is a we're such a small town. And we are such a mecca for artists, and there's such a strong community, a very loving, supportive. Um, and and the thing I like about QS is people move here and and they've never done art before, and they're like, I'm I'm an artist, I'm a photographer, I'm a painter, and I've I've just seen everyone I know does something as an expression, um, using art as an expression. How has QS affected you or inspired you? And what's your experience like? It was, it's, it's just like you said, it's an amazing experience. Um, I, I would, I guess the words I would use is spiritually creative. You know, there is a creative spiritual energy here. Um, I don't know if it's because of how beautiful everything is. Um, maybe it is the beauty, maybe because of the, the proximity on the water, but it just, it has that feeling of creativity in it. And it makes you want to do stuff, you know, even I'm in a, in, um, you know, in a, in a beautiful place that the studios of Key West um, has like a residency and I'm creating art in that space, <laughs> you know, like on my time off, I'm working on some art, you know, it feels like it needs to be done. It feels like when you're here, you just want to do that. So I think that's part of it. And, and it's the people, mm -hmm. you know, meeting the people here, the locals, um, the way they think about things, the way they see the world, their concepts, it, it is very inspiring. And it does, you know, give you um, so many ideas and so many different ways of thinking about things. Now, I've, I've been, um, I've seen a lot of your art on your website, williamrhodesart.com. That'll, that'll link will be in the uh, description, everybody at the podcast. Um, and there's so many, they're, they're just, there's some found found objects that you've turned into art there's wood there's um neon signs and there's one i love neon i don't know why i just like i want i want a neon sign that says checks cashed and i just yeah, want totally. that as my main art in my yes. in my home um but there's one that just i mean it just gives me chills it's it's like a um let's see there's a picture of a, a soldier a man in a uniform and um it's a black and white picture 
and then it's like a, a box. Like it looks like a utility or a breaker box. You open it up, there's an American flag and there's neon that says, um, I think, believe it says man. Correct. It's just, I, I don't even know. I can't even put words to it. There's so many feelings that come up. It's like, it's like remembering maybe someone who might be forgotten. It might be defining wow. masculinity. It's, it's just beautiful. And you've got to tell me all about this, this, um, this piece with uh, found, it's, it's called man. So, you know what is the, the two things that you just said, you defined it perfectly. I mean, it's, it's, that makes me feel so good because I, I, I must've conveyed the right message. So it is exactly what you said. Um, it started off, so I, um, when I got to San Francisco, I didn't know the history and I saw, you know, a lot of uh, displaced African-Americans. What I mean by that, people that were living on the streets um, and carrying suitcases around. And I didn't really know what that was all about, you know, and I realized that, you know, basically, you know, you're talking groups of people that are living out of a suitcase. And there was one person in particular that I was able to meet and I did an interview with him and his name was man, M-A-N. And I asked him, I said, so what is your, um, what's your birth name? He said, I told you my name is man, M-A-N. He said, my family named me man. He was African-American. He originally was from Louisiana, but he, he's, he came to San Francisco as a child. And he said that his family named him man because they did not want him to grow up where someone would refer to him as a boy. And he was a war hero. He had done all of these amazing things, uh, ended up in a position where he was homeless. He would not allow me to take a picture of him. So what I did was I used an old photograph or old family photograph. Um, I don't know who this gentleman is in the picture, in the image, but it was in a stack of old family photos. Um, my family served in the military from pretty much, I think, every war, even the Revolutionary War, they served in. So I have a long history of that. So I used this image because it reminded me of man. Um, and I created a box. The box I actually made, um, and I made it look old, but it's supposed to look like some type of a military chest or because it's a pretty large piece. I took an old American flag, incorporated that in. So it deals with that, like you said. So his story, I didn't want it to get lost. You know, I wanted to honor this guy. This guy was a war hero, did, served his country, did all of these amazing things. But yet he's li he was living on the streets and forgotten. Um, and it deals with the issues of masculinity, you know, dealing in a culture where, you know, in the past in particular, um, African-American men, you could be, you could be uh, 100 years old and you were still referred to as a boy. So dealing with really giving a person a sense of, of respect, honor, honoring their, their, their place in society and just really wanting people to see that and not forget that. So you said it perfectly. Oh, thank you. I just, I, I just still, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm, I found, I just can't stop looking and, and the picture the gentleman is just dressed to a perfectly pressed uniform um with the, you know uh with a tie and the hat and it just he look he's smiling and he looks so uh, just proud in, in a in a positive way i mean just proud yeah. to be whether it's an i mean it can be whatever you whether he's proud to be an american or just 
um, to be, you know, in, in that moment. It captures all these things. And I just thank you for this piece because it's just thank you. I just can't even um, express how it, it just I don't know. It's amazing. And I, I um, you know, I'm a reporter for a living. I've been doing it a while. And what your work reminds me of and what you just said is is finding people's stories who may have been lost or maybe they don't have the agency to to write their story and and when you write things down or when you make art it it's there people will remember yes and yeah. um and you you're almost you're like a journalist you are a journalist i i guess in some ways through through my art yeah yeah you wouldn't want me to write anything believe me <laughs> You well, yeah. I mean, you just your your work just speaks um, volumes, and and there um there are images, um, uh, photographs. You, you have a, a Tupac Shakur, um, you have a a, a Martin Luther King, uh, Jr. And um, what are these portraits? Um, what are they? Why why? How do you approach them? Because these are mm-hmm. famous, famous people and everyone's done, not everyone, but there's so many images of them and yours, yours seem very personal. Like it's almost like you're, you're in the room with them. Yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent question. So they are personal. So for example, Tupac, I went to Baltimore School for the Arts. I was older, but I went to school with Tupac Shakur. He was younger than me. He was coming into the school as I was leaving. The reason why I wanted to do a portrait of him is because um, when I heard his music and heard his lyrics, I saw the influence of the School for the Arts in his, in his work. And I really did not value what he did because sometimes when you have things so close to you, you really don't see the value in it. But when I took a trip abroad and saw people, how they were responding to Tupac Shakur, it just blew me away. Um, I just couldn't believe it <laughs> because it felt so personal and such a close connection and felt, you know, very local to a certain degree when he was starting out. And this person who seemed so local had such an in- international influence. And it really was an education for myself to not look at people and, deva- you know, devalue them or not see the beauty in what they have um, because they're just so close source around you. So I wanted to do a piece, you know, when he got murdered, I wanted to do a piece to honor him and very personal piece because of my connection. Martin, um, the reason why I chose Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King, my father did work in the civil rights movement. I had lots of people around me that worked with Dr. Martin Luther King And growing up in the 60s, you could not go into a Black person's home unless you saw a portrait or a calendar or something of Dr. Martin Luther King. So it felt very personal, you know, um, having that, having him around. It felt very personal um, and, and felt like I had to have that in my home. So I produced this piece. These are drawings, but I go into the drawings with needle and thread. And that is my form of therapy too. So I always use the color red and I sew into them. So I may create the background portrait, you know, uh, add elements to it. Sometimes I've done complete portraits of people in all needle and thread. But with these, these are drawings with needle and thread incorporated in it. 
and, and um, you're, uh, you, you have a, a new exhibit, a show that's at the studios at Key West. It's um, opening Thursday. Yes. Um, what can people expect or how, how many pieces do, how many works do you have? There are a total of, ooh, I want to say like, who I'm bad with numbers. I think it's like somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 pieces. Um, they are, um, it's a mixture of a lot of my works, but they're incorporating my drawings, incorporates the quilts, incorporates the sculptural pieces uh, with the neon. So you'll get a cross section of my work. Um, and I, and that's the type of artist that I am. I think, I think it's really gives a good portrait of who I am as an artist. I switch different mediums all the time. So if you come to the show, you'll get to see that. You'll see quite a few people that I've, you know, interviewed on the streets, people that were kind enough to allow me to do their portraits. Um, you'll see some family images, people from my family that I want to share their story. And you'll see just other things that are more open to just everyone in the community and, and abroad. That's wonderful. Um and there's one more, one more piece I have to ask you about because it, again, mm-hmm. giving me chills. And and um, it, it it's called Gone Mother. There's yes. a neon uh, neon sign that says Gone. And then if you uh, and then it um, there's a picture of a woman, but it, it a photo a black and white photograph, but it's it's pinned or it's hanging and it it's upside down. And it yes. looks. I I don't even want to assume, but it, it's <laughs> so powerful and it's so beautiful. And yet sim- simple, like, I mean, that is a compliment. Um, can you talk about what inspired that and what that means to you? That piece? Yeah. So, so it's an actual shoe. It's a real shoe that I found on the street. Um, it has inside of the, inside of the shoe, I sewed a photograph, black and white photograph. I printed on cotton, sewed that inside of the shoe. And then there is a tag, which is um, cotton. I sewed that. Uh, that's a that's a photograph of of a family member that I incorporated, and I put the the neon um, is inside of the shoe, so the word gone is inside of the shoe, and it hangs on the wall. So that piece was based off of again a woman that I uh, a displaced woman in San Francisco. Um, she I would see her often when I would go to work, and I struck up a conversation. And she allowed me to talk to her and interview her and get her story. And she um, was a mother, was a mother. Her basically, she felt like her calling in life was to raise her children, to provide a good family for them. And through unfortunate circumstances, she ended up losing her home and being homeless. And um, she was on the streets. And so I wanted to honor her because she had so much pride in that. And she carried her family photographs in her suitcase. So her suitcase was like a shrine. And I wanted to take a picture of that, but she, you know, she didn't want me to, she would not allow me to take a picture of her as well, but I wanted to still carry her story. So um, the piece is entitled Gone Mother. It's honoring her and it, was the, uh, she eventually left or disappeared. I'm not sure what happened to her, but I know the area in which she stayed, um, there were items and I found a shoe 
And I felt like that could have belonged to her. I'm not certain of that, but I felt like it could have belonged to her or someone connected to her. So it was in that area in the Bayview uh, in San Francisco, Bayview Hunters Point community. So I found that and I felt like I wanted to incorporate that into the piece. So that's really where that came about. So it's, it's an actual fabric shoe. The, the nice thing is with the neon, I worked with a neon company that supported me with that. And they used a very old technique. So when you turn it on, it doesn't just automatically just come on like neon. It actually has like little balls of neon that kind of rises up like the way neon used to be when it was first developed. Um, so it creates, it has this vintage feel to it as well. It's a lot of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of history and, and kind of, you know, um, pres past, present and future things all drawn into this, this one piece. Uh, William Rhodes, thank you for taking this time to, to speak with me and congratulations on, on everything, but your, your work at the studios of QS, the exhibit that's, that's up and uh, about to debut. It'll be up there for the month of April. And I um, also wanted to thank you for giving voice to the vulnerable and, and um, like, I'm going to use the wrong word. I, just the uh, people that uh, to, to, to just go up to someone and say, I see you and you're not forgotten and you're a, you're important. I value you. I think that's, I think that you just do that and it's a service, public service. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you um, for taking the time to do, this has been a wonderful interview. uh, You're, you're, uh, you're amazing. Thank you, William. And uh, continued success and uh, take care. All right. Take care. Thank you. Berg, thanks for joining me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, store manager at Books and Books at the studios of Key West. What uh, what what are your latest picks, or what are some what are you reading right now that everyone should read? You know what? Every time you ask me that question, I feel like I've never read a book in my entire life. I go, <laughs> I go completely. It doesn't blank. have to be what you just read yesterday. <laughs> I mean, in general. In general, um, I'm reading some stuff that's not out yet, and I'm not all the way through it. So I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not ready to put my name on anything. Um, I read one of my favorite books of uh, 2020 was called Godshot by Chelsea Beaker. And she just came out with a new book called Heartbroken or Heartbroke. Um, so she's out of Fresno. So it's short stories that all kind of circle around that really dusty and impoverished central California. Um, But I just love everything she writes. It's always pretty creepy. It's a little bit, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but um, real, it's not so sad because it's so exaggerated that it's almost comical sad life stuff <laughs> I, I got you now i remember you telling me about god shot when we talked uh i think a, a year or so ago what's yeah. what's that about again 
that is about a it's fiction about a girl who I believe is 15 years old 14 or 15 um, growing up outside of Fresno and growing up basically in a cult I mean she's slowly she's bought in and she's sort of coming to the realization that this what's going on is not okay Mm. Um, and in the first chapter her mom is kicked out of the cult and so she's sort of reckoning with that um and it sounds like a real bummer but it has some parts that are very funny um and it's just it's just one of those characters that she's so resilient and you just want to know what she's doing all the time I have a few for the most part if I don't if I love a book or I don't care for a book I just know that it's not for me and it's probably for somebody else but Mm -hmm. I do have a few that I'm like don't understand how people can't like it and that's one of them like this well, that, that book sounds amazing and it's about cults people love cults I mean, people love cults yeah as they uh-huh. should they're very interesting another yeah. one i read about has um been out for a while called hollywood park and it is um the lead sin- singer of airborne toxic event and he, this is memoir he grew up in synanon um which is a cult in California as well. So I guess I have a kind of a theme of what I've been reading the last few years. Pandemic reading, I really gravitated towards cults. That's that's, <laughs> that's understandable. There are entire podcasts, true crime podcasts about cults. People love yeah, them. Yeah, as there should be. Because you want to feel like you know what to avoid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See the signs. It's, it's, it's good to know. Books and books, you know, it's right there on Eaton and Simonton, and it just it's so... The, the, it's just such a great bookstore. There's everything you'd want is right there. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, how do you choose the titles or know what what uh, what people will want to buy? Because you can't have everything. It's QS, right? So. I mean, sometimes we don't, but we're really lucky in that we have the books and books in the Miami area. Coral Gables is the flagship store, so we're not exactly part of their team in that we're we're owned by the studios of Key West and we're a nonprofit, but we have an amazing book buyer through them who meets with all the reps, reads a ton, does all the research. And so she presents a list basically uh, for just about every publisher of upcoming things. And then we sort of here in Key West, we modify. So we might say, Oh, we don't want quite so many of that. And we definitely need this. And, and, um, because she doesn't know everything. Like, for example, I don't know, the um, the Zabars, I don't know if you know them. They, they live in town, but Zabars in New York, they have a book coming out, or there's a book coming out about the Zabar store in early May. And of course, she wouldn't know that they're two local people who live here. So she I, wouldn't know, like, we want a ton of them. And, uh, and, and what... What do people um, ask about when they come in? Do do people um, want to meet Judy Bloom, of course, who runs the place? <laughs> yeah, that's probably the number one question: is Is Judy here? Is she around? Um, and she when is will a she lot. be here? She is. Yeah, for the most part, she's. I mean, she's in the store a few days a week, and she's here pretty much year round at this point. And um we try to sort of channel like have people leave books and have them signed later because she actually works <laughs> she doesn't she get does. a lot done yeah she does she has a lot of tasks and she has to kind of keep moving throughout the day 
So she stops and takes pictures and things, though, which is, is really nice. Now, was she, was Judy the one that hired you directly or how did you, um, uh, cause I'm just going to ask if you were starstruck or how, how do you get over the <laughs> fact that you, or maybe it's every day. How do you get over the fact that, wow, I work for Judy Bloom? Um, well, she, she did not, I didn't interview with her. Um, I interviewed with Jed, the, um, the executive director of the oh, studios yes. of Key West oh, mm-hmm. first. And then um, after that, I was in a kind of a group interview with um, uh, George Cooper, Judy's husband, and a few other board members, because um, he serves on the advisory board of the studios, and Jed. Um, and then they actually didn't hire me. <laughs> I heard somebody else. No, no, it's, it was the best. It was truly was the best choice that they could have made because, um, they, you know, the, I didn't have a lot of retail experience, uh, and the person that they hired was great. She had a ton of retail experience. And in the very beginning, that's really what we needed is Mm. getting everything set up and, and moving that way. But luckily I got along with everyone enough that, and they needed some help at the front desk of the studio. So I started working there. I mean, they did oh, offer me a job. Yeah. And then um, once we got the uh, bookstore, you know, it was growing. And even before we opened, I had already started working on this side of things. Um, and then as far as being starstruck, I don't know. I think I knew, obviously knew who she was and I had read her books and I was very excited and all that. But I think I always had she's like kind of two different people to me she's not at all in real life but I was able to separate and I think it's part of the reason that we work really well together is because I you do need to be able to say oh that won't work you know she doesn't she doesn't want a yes man and she doesn't need one either Ah, so um she wants what's best for the store just like anybody else so we work well together like that now she's like my friend so I I'm not as I'm not starstruck every day <laughs> no that's great I can totally understand what you're saying it's like there's superstar literary person and then there's the person who's you know ordering stuff and moving displays right and it's helpful I mean I think it would be different if she wasn't humble or if she was throwing weight around or not I mean actually just today I it was very it's very busy and I was kind of back in the office for a while when I came out she said your bookstore is is a mess but I'm trying to and I said oh my bookstore <laughs> she's like yes but I'm getting it together so she's you know she knows it's a team effort that's great that's great mm-hmm. um you, books and books is, does a lot of events and I mean the start of pandemic a lot of online things and and still some some uh online events mm-hmm. what um I mean the the Seth Meyers interview with Judy yeah. Bloom, right that conversation uh that he has great. a children's book yeah <laughs> And it's it's really good. It's like it's a legitimately good children's book, That's and great. it's not. I mean, pretty much every late night person I think has come out with a children's book at this point, mm. and some of them are parodies. You know, like they're not really for kids. The kids probably won't get a lot of it, but his book is um, it's great, and it it's something that kids would really enjoy. And he said in that interview too, because he's got three little kids, he really wanted to write something that, you know parents wouldn't hate after they've read three or four times so I I don't know I don't have any kids I've read it a couple times and it's I still find it entertaining 
That sounds great. When um, who else is coming up uh, on uh, books and books? Do, are there some things on the calendar? Yeah, we've got. Well, we've got a couple of uh, local things that I can't quite announce yet because I haven't finalized the dates. So I would say always check our website, um, booksandbookskw.com, because we put stuff up there just as soon as we can confirm them. One thing I have on the books right now is another online event uh, similar to the Seth Meyers, or we also did one with Margaret Atwood um, with Laura, uh, Mary Laura Philpot. She wrote a book, a really funny book of essays called I Miss You When I Blink. And uh, she has another book coming out on next Tuesday called um, Bomb Shelter. And she sort of suffers from anxiety. So if you, oh, you talked to Jenny Lawson, didn't you? I did. She's, she's remarkable. She's so yeah. honest about what she's going through. Right. So sort sort of similar vibe, maybe not um, quite as many. Well, actually, I, I don't know if that's true, but not quite as dark as Jenny Lawson might get, but definitely funny and very honest about anxiety and being worried and everything um so that's a event that would be on zoom it's a ticketed event but you get the book so it's basically the cost of the book and then you get um to join this live event that's right questions yeah, yeah the fee uh, includes a, a copy of the book that's a great that's a great deal it's remind everybody yeah. mm-hmm. yes definitely so. and um uh what i mean you read a lot of fiction i'm, I'm sure you have to for for your job but are, is fiction your primary uh go-to for genre of reading or i i can't really picture you reading biographies of uh superstars like i do well i do sometimes <laughs> i like I, <laughs> I missed Dirt. that one but i did read like the matthew mcconaughey book um oh. because i i thought it might be funny and it is <laughs> um and I read I do read a fair amount of memoir I like memoirs of comedians I just read Bob Odenkirk's book um comedy 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 drama I think there's three comedies um so that's great and I I read you know a fair amount of like true crime mm-hmm. as well um because I am that demographic um, I fit the mold perfectly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I I like I like reading celebrity memoirs, specifically comedians, because I I like hearing, you know, well I like hearing the inside dirt. Like uh, Bob Odenkirk's book was great because he, you know, he wrote for SNL for a while, and the 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 book he's just sort of slamming on it the whole time <laughs> because it just wasn't the right, you know, it wasn't the right venue for him um and I really one of my favorite books is the Chris Farley show that's an older book about Chris Farley it's of course very sad um or it has its moments of being sad but he was friends with Chris Farley too and so he talks a lot about that so I like hearing those connections with celebrities um so yeah I read a lot of that I like listening to like the Matthew McConaughey book I listen to okay because he reads it so, you know, you're getting that voice. Um, we use uh, Libro FM is a online audiobook. It's the same same thing as what you might have heard of with other ones. You get a subscription for $14.99 a month and then you get a credit and you can still buy them, but it supports your local bookstore. So you would pick your local bookstore before you before you as you sign up and then um, it supports us as you're buying audiobooks. 
that's a great way. That's great. A couple of real quick questions. I'll let you go. Is the Matthew McConaughey book, when you say it's funny, those are the parts <laughs> that are supposed to be funny, right? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that kind of serious? I thought he was writing about the environment or. No, he's, or... Di- no he's re- just writing about his life. Um, oh. Yeah, I think it is. He, you know, he doesn't take himself real seriously, which mm-hmm. is what I enjoyed about the book. It's uh it's kind of going through his whole, yeah, his childhood in Texas all the way up to um, the Lincoln commercials. <laughs> he's just like, I've had kind of a ridiculous life. And I've, what I really like is he's like, I'm super privileged. And I, I grew up a white straight man and I'm good looking. And so like, this is all the, this is what I've gotten out of that. And so it's not, he, he definitely had, you know, some conflict otherwise it wouldn't be a good book at all but it's more just him going through his life and uh he goes he I guess he does talk about the environment a little bit but it's it's definitely a memoir okay great great I made you talk about Matthew McConaughey the whole time I'm just thinking, yeah. there's all this world of literature out there and I'm interested I in uh, I, I do love <laughs> memoir I think memoir is my favorite genre I, I was just kidding about the dirt I I may have written no, I didn't read Motley Crue's The Dirt. I read about it. Um, but uh, like uh, Mary Carr's The Liar's Club is what set me on that. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a, that's one of Judy's favorite books. Oh, yeah. It's just um, Mary Carr is just such a powerful writer. Lit, she wrote about uh, mm-hmm. Struggle with Alcohol and Lit. And um, so I, I, I love those. And now everyone kind of has a memoir. But I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about books is you can choose not to read them. So <laughs> sometimes the, and that's what I meant when I said, you know, for the most part, if a book comes out that I don't like, I'm not like, this is a terrible waste of book Sure. because I just know it's not for me. And there's definitely been celebrities who have put out memoirs that I'm like, I don't really think yeah, I care about that. <laughs> yeah, but else. it's not for me. You know, I got no interest in that one, but somebody's, somebody's looking for it. Right. Well, Emily Berg, store manager at Books and Books at the Studios of QS. Thanks for taking the time. And um, you you do a, a public service for us all by being there. Oh, thank you. Well, we're happy to be here. All right. Take care. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the Studios of Key West. The Studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.